0: This is episode number 63 of the Individual One podcast.
1: For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump.
0: And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective Because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Um, I want to start today with last night's debate. Uh, Twelve Democrats got together on one stage. For three hours to talk about uh, how liberal they are and, uh, and how horrible Donald Trump is. And as I have been saying for months, this race really appears right now to come down to two people as of right now, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Now, uh, there are certainly other scenarios where other people could potentially win the Democratic nomination, although there are not that many of them. Uh, I I think really, frankly, there's only about four or five people who could, in a logical world, win the Democratic nomination, and I don't think Bernie Sanders is one of them. Uh, This is especially the case after his heart attack, although he looked pretty darn good last night, and he's getting some uh, endorsements from the so-called squad today, so his candidacy appears to be back on its feet, which, as I have said previously, in fact, I've been saying for about a year now, is good for Joe Biden. Joe Biden needs a viable Bernie Sanders in there as long as possible to keep that group of progressive nut jobs, the socialist wing of the Democratic Party, from gravitating towards Elizabeth Warren who would be the most logical person for whom they would support or uh, to whom they would for whom they would vote if there was no Bernie Sanders. And so uh, Sanders does Joe Biden a big favor by remaining viable. He keeps support away from Warren. He also, by the way, makes Biden seem not quite as ancient as he is because Bernie Sanders is basically the same age and seems a little bit older in some ways. And he also makes Biden seem remarkably moderate because Sanders is just bat crap crazy when it comes to his socialist policy. And for those who uh, say, and I get this on Twitter occasionally, that Bernie Sanders would actually beat Donald Trump because the polls indicate that. And it is true that the polls do indicate that Bernie Sanders is almost as strong against Donald Trump. In a general election based upon the national numbers, as is Joe Biden. It's not quite as strong, but he's in the same ballpark. I don't believe that. I believe that those numbers are incredibly deceiving. And the reason why the Sanders numbers are deceiving and the Biden numbers are legitimate is very simple Joe Biden was vice president of the United States for eight years, he was elected vice president of the United States. Twice. He won all of, or he and Barack Obama won all of the key states that they, Democrats, would have to win in 2020 to defeat Donald Trump. Correct. He's a well, well known quantity. Everybody knows the essence of Joe Biden. I do not believe that the average American has a clue about the essence of Bernie Sanders. I don't even think they know he's not a Democrat. Now, I mean, that's the—I mean, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, when when the average American finds out, wait a minute, Bernie Sanders is the Democratic nominee and he's not a Democrat? He's a socialist independent? He refers to himself as a socialist? I'm sorry, uh, 20, 30 years from now, that might play very well, unfortunately, in this country. We're not there yet. And so I truly do believe that even maybe more so than Elizabeth Warren— who I also think would have problems in a general election against Donald Trump. I think Bernie Sanders, his support would evaporate uh, very quickly. And I think that uh, he would have a very difficult time against Donald Trump in a general election. I don't think he's going to win the nomination because it's very clear to me that he is capped at 20 to 25 percent, no matter which poll you look at, on the Democratic side and with no room to grow because he is so far to the left and he is so progressive. Now, I guess you could put out a theory that if something happened catastrophically to Elizabeth Warren, then her support would go to Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders would be back close to what he was in 2016. But a lot of the perception of Bernie Sanders is, is I believe, inaccurate because of the misperception of the Democratic primary in 2016. That was Hillary versus Bernie Sanders straight up. And Bernie Sanders got well into the 40 percent range of national vote, and some states did better than that. That was, in my opinion, in large part to the fact that there was an anti-Hillary contingent. He was the non-Hillary in the race. And he was, you know, obviously appealed to progressives, and he was fun, and he was the Bernie bros thing, and it was exciting for people who are very, very liberal. I don't think he gets that kind of support uh, on his own. Without having the benefit of being the only alternative to Hillary Clinton, I don't think he gets anywhere close to that. But if, in theory, Elizabeth Warren were to, and I don't see this happening, uh, somehow dropping out, then maybe Bernie Sanders is viable to win the nomination and all bets are off. But under the current metrics there's no way for Bernie Sanders to actually win the nomination, and his presence, I believe, actually helps Joe Biden. As far as how Joe Biden did last night, I have been very outspoken on this podcast and on Twitter that this was a big night for Joe Biden because this was a situation, because we had a month, almost basically a month now, of news that surrounded him and Donald Trump and the Ukrainian scandal and his son, Hunter Biden— that obviously there was going to be a lot of focus on him and how he was going to respond to this. And I've referred to it as his bases are loaded moment. He was up to bat. The bases were loaded. He's got a, a friendly crowd of Democrats in Ohio. He's got everybody else on that stage afraid to attack him because he's under attack by Trump and no one wants to be seen as helping Trump. So this was a perfect opportunity for Joe Biden. Uh, bases loaded and Anderson Cooper throws a, a you know, what would seem like a somewhat confrontational uh, question. But in fact, it was really a softball because uh, rightfully, Anderson Cooper prefaced it by saying there's no evidence of any wrongdoing by the Bidens. And Anderson Cooper threw this softball right down the middle and old Joe Biden took his bat. And uh, in my opinion, he hit uh, what was basically a bloop single. Uh, You know, because there uh, weren't two outs, the runners weren't even moving, and he might have scored one run. Uh, Now, so he didn't hurt himself. He didn't strike out. Uh, He made the basic point that the entire Ukrainian scandal happened correctly because Trump is afraid of Joe Biden. Correct. He knows that Joe Biden would beat him. And that's why he's gone to extraordinary and likely impeachable lengths to try to hurt Joe Biden politically. They know they need to muddy him up. They, they've gone to desperate measures, likely illegal measures to do it. And the reason is Trump knows he loses nine out of 10 times, or maybe even more than that, to Joe Biden. And so Biden made that point. So he hit, a, he hit his bloop single. He scored a run. But I'm a big believer that when you have your opportunity to to score big. You've got to take advantage of it. And I don't think Biden did that. He had an opportunity to grab hold of this nominating process and, and dictate that he is the alpha male. He's the guy who Trump doesn't want to run against. This is all bull crap. This is This whole Hunter Biden thing in Ukraine is Barack Obama's birth certificate 2.0. I think that's a line that would have worked fantastically well on numerous levels. He didn't go there. Uh, To me, there was no zinger moment, no memorable moment. There was no home run. There wasn't even a ground rule double. It was a bloop single. And, you know, is it possible for Joe Biden to still win this nomination? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's going to be around, barring total disaster, through the end. But I think there's a good chance that when all is said and done, this was the opportunity for Joe Biden to take control back, and he did not do that. And so while in the short run, there were a lot of things that happened last night that were actually good for Joe Biden. He did fine. He he seemed strong. He didn't make any massive screw-ups. He didn't forget where he was, <laughs> so I mean the standards are pretty low for the human gaff machine that is Joe Biden. Also, I think it was positive. I've already mentioned that Bernie Sanders seems still viable because if Bernie Sanders got up there and didn't look like he could continue to even run a campaign, that would have been bad for Joe Biden. Another thing in the short run that was good for Joe Biden, and this surprised me, and I have to say I was wrong about how this would go down, uh, Elizabeth Warren was definitely under attack by several of the other Democrats on that stage, Uh, specifically uh, Amy Kluchabar and Pete Buttigieg. They went after her hard. And I thought effectively. This surprised me because I thought that everyone would be afraid to go after Warren, thus pissing off her cult because I've learned in the last several days since I wrote a column uh, criticizing her for her, I thought, incredibly uh, dismissive and inappropriate insult to Christian men at the CNN town hall last week on the issue of gay marriage. We dealt with that in episode number 62 of the Individual One podcast, if you're interested in my thoughts on that. And, and so uh, I thought that Everyone on that stage would be afraid of going after her. Well, I guess Shabar uh, and, and Buttigieg realized they have no choice. And they went after what I would refer to as the sane wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, supposedly, that still exists. Now, it's, it's weird because we're now living in a world where the media, and I, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, the media is so focused on what happens on Twitter and on the cable news networks that we think that that's the real world it's not twitter is 1 or 2% of the population and oftentimes cable news networks are in that in the same realm it's a it's a very small niche the average person out there is not on twitter and isn't watching cable news msnbc cnn fox news channel religiously there's a whole group of people who will actually vote now a lot of those people do not vote and they certainly aren't going to vote in a caucus in iowa you know in the middle of winter time so so the fanatics definitely have an outsized influence on all this and so it's not irrelevant what happens on Twitter and on the cable news networks, but it's also not 100% definitive. And Klochabar and Buttigieg are making a bet that, that that basically unheard from group of people, the group of sane Democrats that aren't bat crap crazy, that there's enough of them to put them into the midst of the race. And if there is, and I don't know if that there is, I honestly don't know. But if there is that group of sane Democrats, then I think that they really helped themselves last night. Did they hurt Elizabeth Warren in the process? It's too early to tell. I don't know. Uh, I mean, in a rational world, they did. They exposed her as being unrealistic, being overtly uh, and too far to the left. Uh, And, you know, they, I think, also showed that she doesn't really handle herself particularly well when under attack. She didn't do horribly. But um, to me, she didn't come across as somebody like, wow, Donald Trump ought to be shaking in his boots if if he's ever going to face Elizabeth Warren in a debate. The only people that believe that are the people that are already within her cult. So uh, on the surface, a lot of things happen that are good if you're in my camp, which is, I just want someone sane to beat Donald Trump. That's that's where I am. My wife, who has a little bit of Trumpster in her, I will I'll be the first to acknowledge, which is a good and a bad thing. Because she keeps me uh grounded and she keeps me in touch with, you know, the the, the hybrid. I, I there's the there's the Trump cult. Let's be clear, there's the Trump cult. I love the poorly educated. And then there's another group of Republicans who have a, what I refer to as the virus. Now, sometimes the virus is under control and sometimes it flames up. Uh, I am kind of an antidote to my wife's virus most of the time, but it still comes into play. And last night, uh, her, her, her Trump virus, which she still has uh, a little bit of, flared up and she started to ask me, okay, so, so which of these nut jobs would you actually want to be president instead of Trump. And I said, well, obviously, my vote doesn't make a damn bit of difference. I live here in California and I'm a lifelong Republican. Uh, I'm not going to vote in a Democratic primary and in a general election. Obviously, I don't matter. Uh, But in theory, there's probably three or four people on that stage that I would, without hesitation, say, you know what? I'd rather have that person be president for the next four years than have to endure a second term of Donald Trump, because it's the second term part of this that's so important. And that ought to be a huge part of the theme for Democrats in the general election. You're not just voting for Donald Trump. You're voting for Donald Trump without a shred of accountability, a shred of accountability, and without any adults in the room still reining him in. I mean, that ended after the first two years. And, And we've already seen this year how that has caused things to fall apart. Well, imagine never having to face the voters again. Imagine having Donald Trump with no restrictions, for instance, on his pardon power or, or what he's going to say to foreign leaders or what deals he's going to make on behalf of himself. I mean, the mind boggles. And so there are, I would say, three or four uh, of the people that are on that stage. that, Without hesitation, I would say, you know what, for the sake of the country— there's going to be, you know, some harm done from from a conservative's perspective. But frankly, conservatives deserve whatever harm is coming our way based upon how uh, the sellout to Donald Trump went. Uh, but, I, you know, I, and obviously Joe Biden, I've always said, is the person with the best chance to win. I'm no fan of Joe Biden. But, you know, that that if you want a, a, a flight to safety, you know, they, they say that all the time in, in the midst of stock market uh, collapses, a flight to safety. Joe Biden is a, is as close to a flight to safety as you're going to find because he'll beat Donald Trump. But by the way, especially if uh, someone like Amy Klobuchar is is his vice presidential nominee. I don't anticipate this happening because it's too good to be true, but having Biden and Klobuchar ticket is an absolute uh, barring some sort of black swan event, an absolute winner. And you know, it wouldn't really threaten or or scare the living daylights out of any rational Republican, especially with a guy who's going to be old and might only run for one term in Joe Biden. It's also interesting, and this is why it's too perfect to happen, it's, impor- it's interesting to note, and this is so telling and so pathetic as to how far the Republican Party has fallen, but one of the big stars of last night's debate was Joe- John McCain. Can you imagine that? John McCain was spoken about in glowing terms by several Democratic candidates, specifically Biden and Klochabar, both of whom were very close friends of John McCain. So, you know, it would just be too rich, too perfect, too wonderful to see uh, two very close friends of John McCain run as the Democratic ticket and beat the crap out of Donald Trump, who hates John McCain. Correct. That, that would just be too perfect. The world does not work that way, unfortunately, at least not in this day and age. But boy, it would be wonderful to see it. Uh, and, and if you're in favor of rationality, that you know that's a scenario that you ought to be in favor of. Uh, but again, that's not the way the world works. And let's be clear. Elizabeth Warren still has a lot going for her. The liberal media establishment is completely behind her. We've learned that in just the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live, for instance, which does not have nearly the influence that it used to, but it still has some influence. It still helps set media narratives is 100 percent behind Elizabeth Warren. That's very clear. And so she's going to be protected by a lot of the media. This is partially why I didn't think she was going to be attacked to to the degree, to the degree that she was last night. Uh, maybe the liberal media doesn't have as much power uh, over the progressive wing of the Democratic Party as I thought, but the the reality is uh, Elizabeth Warren is still very formidable, and if she does very well in Iowa, which she could, and New Hampshire is right next to her home state of Massachusetts, uh, if she were to either win or come in first and or second in both of those. Uh, you know, she'll have some problems in South Carolina, assuming that the black vote stays away from her. But I just don't. It's hard for me to see how she gets totally destroyed because the things that would totally destroy her are not things that Democrats or liberals in the media are likely to bring up until it's too late. And she's already the nominee against Donald Trump. Uh, So even though in the short run there were some things last night that were good, this was the least crazy. Democratic debate yet. In fact, there were a lot of liberals on Twitter who were upset that it wasn't crazy enough. <laughs> there wasn't enough about climate change, for instance. Like, like like, that's going to be helpful. How is having 12 Democrats do an auction for their bidding on how much money they want to spend on climate change uh, going to be helpful to them defeating Donald Trump when the reality is And I know this is heartbreaking to liberals and to those in the media, whether you believe in man-made global warming or climate change or you believe we can do anything about it, the reality is that when it comes down to brass tacks, people are not motivated by that. Real people are not motivated. They don't, even if they believe in it, they don't care that much about it. I mean, there was one candidate who, who made his entire campaign about this and he didn't even make it into the debates. He's already out. So the reality is that that is much, very much a media creation, and uh, and and they were smart not to obsess about that. Uh, you know, it's also pretty amazing, and I'll give Trump credit for this. It's amazing that Donald Trump has uh, somehow forced Democrats to, in some ways, be way more what used to be referred to as conservative than anyone else could possibly have imagined. It's not just the embrace of John McCain. Uh, it, you know, it, it, in reaction to Trump, Democrats have become much more hawkish on foreign policy. We saw that last night in their reaction to the the disastrous Syrian pullout. Uh, Democrats are now very pro-Kurds and want to protect the Kurds. They're very anti-Russia, very anti-Putin. So congratulations to Donald Trump for doing something no one else could possibly do, which is to get Democrats to hold these kind of positions. Correct. Uh, But I, I, I don't uh, pretend that that's going to continue after Trump is finally done. It's just an interesting phenomenon based upon the fact that uh, almost anything Trump does, Democrats are going to react negatively to. As far as the Syrian disaster, uh, boy, uh, Trump is really trying hard to wipe his hands of this uh, catastrophe, and it really is a catastrophe in some ways. Today, he was quoted as saying, it's not our problem. It's not our problem. This is Turkey's problem. This is the Kurds problem. You know what, Kurds? Good luck to you. Uh, I don't even think he said good luck to you. <laughs> he should basically said I don't give a damn about you. They're, he referred to them as not being angels. Uh, this created um, – it's interesting because there was an article that was uh, out there today. I forget which outlet, but the the headline was basically Republicans Uh, and their anger over uh, Trump's uh, Syrian disaster is starting to subside, that Republicans are starting to now figure out a way to back Trump on this, uh, backing sanctions against Turkey, and that their ire has kind of died down. Well, that is (laughs) not the case, at least in some corners today. Uh, Mitt Romney had a very, very negative reaction to these comments. And then most hilariously, Lindsey Graham went on a a Twitter spree uh, where once again, Lindsey Graham, the guy who theoretically has enormous influence, over Donald Trump. He's his buddy. He's his sycophant. He's his golfing partner. He's the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's very influential with impeachment coming down the pike. Lindsey Graham, if he came out in favor of Trump's removal, would open the floodgates potentially for other Republicans to follow him. Uh, And so it's, it's quite hilarious to me to see Lindsey Graham continue to Uh, go through this roller coaster of support for Donald Trump, enabling of Donald Trump. And then when that doesn't work, going on Twitter and essentially saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is a disaster. I hope that the president changes his mind, which he did today. Um, But why would Trump give a damn what Lindsey Graham says? Because Trump knows that Lindsey Graham is in his back pocket. And that's what happens when you're not willing to actually draw a legitimate red line and say, okay, you go over this. I can't support you anymore. Trump knows that Graham is always going to support him because he has no reason to not believe that. And so, you know, this has become a continuing embarrassment, a humanitarian disaster Uh, Erdogan, uh, the president of Turkey, has has said now he's not going to meet with our vice president and our secretary of state. And this is the most amazing part. I, I find it utterly ridiculous. I mean, totally absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. That Erdogan is currently scheduled to meet Trump at the White House in November, except guess who might cancel the meeting? That's right. Erdogan, not Trump. But the president of Turkey is now saying that he's rethinking coming to the United States for a White House visit. You cannot be serious. But that's where we are. Russian television is showing footage of our abandoned uh, military sites uh, with uh, new flags. Uh, uh, the Russian flag up where the American flag used to be. I mean, it's, this is unbelievable. If Obama had done anything, oh my God, if Obama's uh, decision on this, uh, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to the, the nature of the decision, but if Obama had ever uh, had this happen under his watch and, and had uh, Turkey do this, Clearly, uh, as a after a perceived green light by Obama, my God, the entire right wing media establishment, the entire Republican Party would be in a complete and total meltdown. Correct. Uh, it wouldn't even be close. It's all we would be talking about. Now, as far as why Trump did this, and I have said previously that I got to say it's hard for me to believe he's this dumb, that there has to be something else going on here, something more nefarious, some hidden agenda. That is not a narrative that's being uh, uh, put out there by people close to this. The narrative that's being put out there, which is, I guess, theoretically possible, it's just very hard for me to comprehend, is that Trump just got completely played, that basically he's just this bad, at diplomacy and foreign policy, that he's just this far in over his head, and that uh, he called Erdogan's bluff, and it turned out it wasn't a bluff, and that Erdogan has taken advantage of Trump's incompetence. You know what? Maybe that's what really happened here. If so, I'm not sure which is worse. I really don't. In fact, I'd almost prefer the you know the so-called conspiracy theory which i don't think would be a conspiracy but the the, you know this the hidden agenda theory more than the flat-out complete total incompetence theory i i don't know which is is correct but all i know is that uh this is a disaster and it's the type of disaster that could have uh, significant political consequences especially among republicans if it continues and if it becomes clear that real world implications frankly i think it already is clear that real world implications have happened but that if it becomes overtly clear to the point where even sensible republicans go wait a minute uh, we can't continue to do this that's going to really harm uh, donald trump politically and you know and russia is already using our pull out as a propaganda win i mean we were promised you know, winning would be so much winning. We'd get tired of winning. If this is winning, uh, you know, I can't I, I would hate to see what losing is. Uh, I, I, it, it was regard to Republican hypocrisy. I have to mention, and it's not directly related to any of this, but there's been a major controversy over the last uh, couple of weeks involving the NBA, the ba- National Basketball Association, and China. And this gets somewhat complex. But basically what happened was, the general manager's, manager of the Houston Rockets uh, tweeted something that was in favor of the Hong Kong protesters against the Chinese government. And uh, a couple of NBA teams were scheduled to play an exhibition game, including the Los Angeles Lakers in China. And the Chinese went bananas over this. Uh, the poor guy who tweeted this, it's, the Wall Street Journal has an article out today, got bombarded by what appear to be state-run actors from the Chinese government and, and what are called bots that are computer-generated users attacking him for his comment. The NBA did not back him up at all, and many of the same players and coaches who are constantly telling us their political opinions on anything that is sufficiently woke or liberal or progressive or popular in this country suddenly said, you know what, we shouldn't be criticizing the Chinese government. It's inappropriate. And we all just ought to shut up and play basketball. And uh, and the Chinese government shut down uh, press conferences, uh, practices. Uh, they got rid of uh, uh, fans that were trying to protest. It was a complete... Uh, clusterfart from a from a free speech perspective. So the Lakers get back and LeBron James, the most famous basketball player in the world, essentially takes China's side in all this. That's right. Takes China's side. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, And it created an enormous amount of outrage, mostly by conservatives. And I find this to be hilarious and more than a bit hypocritical, because, you know, who else has been totally silent and enabling, regarding China's humanitarian uh, uh, disasters, Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been every bit as bad on China and their uh, their horrendous humanitarian record and what's going on with the Hong Kong protesters as the NBA has. In fact, maybe worse, because there's evidence, in fact, him saying publicly on the White House lawn that he's willing— to use uh, it, within the negotiations with China on tariffs, the, the idea of China investigating Joe Biden for his own purposes. And there's some evidence that behind the scenes, the same proposal was been made and that Trump offered and did apparently say, look, I'll stay quiet on the Hong Kong protests as part of what you might call a quid pro quo. I mean, so to me, you know, I I have big problems with how the NBA has handled this. But if you've got problems with how the NBA has handled this, you ought to have bigger problems with how Donald Trump has handled this. Correct. Um, And as far as the Ukrainian scandal is concerned, obviously, the impeachment process is continuing with rather rapid speed. Numerous people are testifying from the State Department behind closed doors. Everything we're hearing is that factually, it is very, very damaging. And 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 incredibly powerful evidence in a logical world for Trump's impeachment and potential removal from office, uh, and I absolutely believe he will be impeached, and I absolutely believe the case for that impeachment will be made in a compelling fashion, assuming that the Republicans and Senate allow there to be a legitimate trial uh, that will be made in the in the U.S. Senate, and that the maybe a majority of the American people, we're already seeing a majority of the American people, will be in favor of his removal. However, none of that is going to result in his removal unless there's a major movement among Republicans. And from what I'm seeing, while the case is absolutely coming together, exactly as the critics of the president have suggested that it would, and the president is absolutely guilty of a quid pro quo with the Ukraine, Uh, In exchange for investigations into both uh, Joe and Hunter Biden, as well as what I continue to believe may have been an effort by uh, President Trump to help Roger Stone, his uh, friend and former campaign manager's upcoming federal trial in November, although that has for some reason not gotten any media traction at all. I still believe that that is a viable theory about what Trump was really doing with the whole crowd strike situation. But uh, I absolutely believe that that case is real and will be proven. I still continue, though, to believe it lacks the the Shazam moment, the you know it, the the one that really knocks people over, that has real impact, that real lives are are negatively impacted by what happened, and that there's this smoking gun that everyone can understand. There's going to be a lot of context to this. And the whole deep state witch hunt, you know, is coming especially coming after the Russian investigation situation, I think is going to play right into Trump's hands when it comes to keeping the cult in line. And so it's this this catch-22 situation. As long as the right-wing media, state-run media, stays with him, the cult stays with him, the Republicans in the Senate will stay with him. And there's no way to get 67 votes in the Senate for removal. Uh, And so I I continue to believe that, um, even though the polls are shifting towards his removal. There are now three polls showing support for impeachment and removal at over 50 percent or more, including a Fox News poll. I believe, though, and I said this previously, that this number is going to run into a brick wall. I just cannot see how that number gets much higher than 51 or 52 percent for removal because you're basically talking about the same number of people who disapprove of Trump's job in office. That's approximately uh, in the 53, 54 percent range and so obviously if you don't disapprove of the way Trump is doing his job, you're not going to be in favor of his impeachment and removal. So at best, assuming things continue to go in the direction that they are, uh, you're going to, I think, see a stagnation of that number for impeachment. We're basically going to get locked in at Something close to if you approve of Donald Trump, you want him removed. If you don't, I'm sorry, if you if you approve of Donald Trump, you don't want him removed. And if you don't approve of Donald Trump, you want him removed, which is really pretty scary. I mean, that is a really scary reality that we are now so divided that there's almost no difference between the the approval, disapproval numbers and the impeach and remove and don't impeach and remove numbers because there's nothing in the middle. There's an incredibly small group of people who are in the, well, I don't like them, but I don't want them removed uh, or vice versa camp. And that's not healthy at all. I, I do want to mention before we uh, end this episode of the, the podcast and a, a story that I, I tweeted about and I, I tweeted it with the, you know, WTF question mark exclamation point. Like, what the hell is going on here? Story. Uh, and it really does tell you an awful lot about who Donald Trump is, although, as always, there's a little bit of nuance that the media is missing. But here's the story. This is from Reuters. Donald Trump's national security advisor heaped pain and grief on the parents of a British teenager killed in a car crash by trying to hold a meeting at the White House between them and a U.S. diplomat's wife, who was involved. This according to the parent's lawyer. Charlotte Charles and Tim Dunn were invited to a surprise meeting with the U.S. president at his office on Wednesday, where they were further shocked to learn that Ann Sokolos, the American woman involved in the fatal car crash, was in the building. Mark Stevens, the lawyer for Charles and Dunn, said National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien He's the guy that just got hired, National Security Advisor, took, taking over for John Bolton, who, by the way, is becoming a larger and larger figure in the Ukrainian scandal, which is something to keep an eye on. But I digress. You may recall that uh, in the uh, strange world of six degrees of John Ziegler, uh, there's actually a basically a one degree of separation between me and Robert O'Brien, Uh, We used to belong to the same country club here in Los Angeles. We've had lunch together. We've exchanged a lot of emails uh, over the years. I I wouldn't call him a friend, but I I know him halfway decently. But according to this article, it was Robert O'Brien who had the idea of, get this, overseeing a coming together of the families before they would then hug in front of assembled media. Uh, This is a quote from uh, the lawyer, quote, O'Brien has heaped grief and pain on the family by making them go through this, but not allowing them to get the closure they need by talking to Mrs. Sokolos before they can go into the grieving stage. Harry Dunn, 19 years old, died after a car driven by Sokolos collided with his motorbike. His parents, one Sokolos who left, Britain under a disputed claim of diplomatic immunity to return to England to speak to the police. Through her lawyers, Sokolos has said she is devastated and willing to meet with Dunn's family. Dunn's parents said Trump had been responsive at their meeting, but the planned encounter with Sokolos had come as a bombshell. All right, so here's basically what happened. I'm, and I'm assuming O'Brien would never have done this without Trump's approval, and this seems to have Trump's fingerprints all over it, but it appears as if Trump decided and or O'Brien decided to try to create a reality TV show, uh, almost a a mori Povich type of moment, where uh, the, the woman who resulted in the death of these parents, uh, 19-year-old kid, would suddenly, at the White House, in a total shock and surprise, meet and hug it out for the cameras. Uh, And um, this was completely and totally inappropriate, especially given the fact that there was no notice, and the fact that the whole reason why the parents are there is because they want uh, Sokolos to be brought back to Great Britain to answer questions, and we're not allowing that to happen. So uh, this was uh, beyond amateur hour. From a human perspective, it was pathetic. It's an indication that Trump really is the reality TV president, and he has no empathy at all. Although, and here's the nuance. If you read some of the articles about this, the parents are actually very complimentary of Trump in their, their private meeting with him. That he did actually show empathy, that he did indicate that his position on this had shifted. Now we don't know how much of that is them lobbying Trump because he hasn't actually made the decision on this yet. Uh, he's currently against, uh, allow, uh, you know, allowing Great Britain to to have Sackalos for questioning. Uh, so there's a political element to this. But there's also the Trump as complicated, two-faced fraud, uh, which is the real Donald Trump. Who, who knows? I mean, was he manipulating these, these parents to try to get them warmed up for his reality TV show moment? I don't know, but it's certainly possible. That's for darn sure, based upon what we know about Donald Trump. Correct. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. As always, we update the percentage chances of him uh, not finishing his first term in office and being reelected. There's a slight shift, although no no change in the not finishing his first term in office. I'm going to keep that at 13 percent. But I do believe that last night's uh, debate was not good Uh, for Donald Trump's re-election, as well as the Syrian news, I also do not believe, is good for his re-election. So I'm going to put his re-election number currently at 40%. Again, please, no wagering, just for entertainment purposes. Until uh, next time, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this program via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual1Pod. That's Individual1Pod. the number My name is John Ziegler. Thanks for listening. This is the Global Story Network. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.